Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Thursday, February 15th, 2024, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner. Here's a look at today's top stories. The U.S. House votes to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. Russia puts Estonia's prime minister on the Kremlin's wanted list. South Africa urges the ICJ to consider action on Israel's Rafa assault. Indonesia's Subianto claims victory in the presidential election. A coalition government selects Shabazz Sharif as Pakistan's prime minister. Dozens of civilians are reportedly killed by Ethiopian forces in Amhara. Democrats pick up a key seat in U.S. House in a New York special election. The United States Immigration Agency is considering releasing migrants due to budget shortfalls. A report claims the Obama-era CIA recruited other nations to spy on Donald Trump. And Microsoft claims Russia, China, and others are using open AI tools to support hacking. Our top story, the U.S. House votes to impeach Mayorkas. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the U.S. Congress, the U.S. House, the Senate, the Associated Press, and the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The U.S. House of Representatives has, by 214 to 213, passed a resolution to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for, quote, high crimes and misdemeanors. 214 Republicans voted for the bill, while three Republicans voted alongside 210 Democrats against the measure. The resolution, submitted by Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican of Georgia, before being referred to the Committee on Homeland Security, accuses Mayorkas of systemic refusal to comply with the law, alleging the unlawful mass release and parole of migrants on America's southern border. The resolution has passed on its second attempt, having been rejected by a margin of 214 to 216 on February 6th. The bill had been considered as unfinished business by the House before a motion to reconsider was passed. According to the U.S. Constitution, while the House contains the sole power of impeachment, The Senate contains the sole power to try all impeachments, although the House's impeachment process occurs via a simple majority vote. Two-thirds of the Senate is required to convict, while House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Republican of Louisiana, said the vote showed that the GOP would not sit by while Mayorkas fails to do his job at keeping our homeland safe. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat of New York, described the resolution as a new low for House Republicans. According to federal data, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection saw approximately 3.2 million total enforcement actions in fiscal year 2023 compared to around 2.8 million a year prior and approximately 700,000 in fiscal year 2018. Thanks, Eric. We have a Republican narrative from the Western Journal. This is a historic decision to hold a member of the Biden administration responsible. Despite the outcries from the liberal establishment, the reality remains the same. Mayorkas has actively refused to enforce immigration law. If the rest of Biden's cabinet wishes to avoid a similar fate to Mayorkas, be wise to use its executive powers on the southern border instead of continuing to play partisan games. Democrats are playing a truly wicked game with the sovereignty of America as they hold the nation hostage and push for millions of illegals to flood the U.S. with impunity. Biden's DHS is essentially blackmailing Republicans and all American citizens into accepting all of their radical policies in order to enforce any semblance of border security. Follow that with a Democratic narrative coming from The Guardian. In a move unable to survive the Senate, 
House Republicans are using their razor-thin majority in the House to pursue baseless and politically motivated accusations instead of focusing on productive policy solutions to better the country. While the Democrat-led Senate has recently passed a $95 billion national security package, the GOP-led House continues to engage in petty point scoring, undermining the very integrity and gravity of the impeachment process. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction Community. They say there's a 24% chance that Joe Biden will be impeached by the House of Representatives. Russia puts Estonia's prime minister on the wanted list. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, The Guardian, Al Jazeera, CNN, Forbes, and USA Today. Russian police have reportedly issued arrest warrants for Estonia's Prime Minister Kaya Kalas and State Secretary Tymar Peterkop for dismantling Soviet-era monuments in the Baltic nation. According to the Russian Foreign Ministry, Kalas and Peterkop committed crimes against the memory of the world's liberators from Nazism and fascism a reference to the removal of World War II memorials of Soviet soldiers. On Tuesday, Lithuanian Culture Minister Simonis Kairis was also added to the Ministry of Internal Affairs' wanted database. Meanwhile, the Kremlin accused pro-Ukraine Kalas of taking hostile action against Moscow. Following Russia's invasion of Ukraine in 2022, Kalas announced that Estonia, a former Soviet republic that joined the EU and NATO in 2004, would remove all of its Soviet memorials from public spaces. Kalas, Peterkop, and Kairis, as well as at least 60 members of Latvia's previous parliament, are among 170 citizens from the Baltic states, Poland, and Ukraine, which Russia has placed on a wanted list for desecration of war graves, monuments, and memorials to Soviet soldiers. Meanwhile, Estonia's Foreign Intelligence Service has claimed that Russian President Vladimir Putin plans to double the number of Russian soldiers along Russia's border with the Baltic states and Finland, allegedly to prepare for potential military conflict with NATO. Scott, thanks for those facts. The round of spins will begin with an anti-Russia narrative coming from ERR. The fact that the Kremlin has put Kalas and many other Western politicians and officials on its wanted list is anything but surprising. This move is a classic scare tactic all too familiar to anyone who has lived under Russian rule. While Moscow intended to quell criticism, this has only exposed that Estonia is doing the right thing in supporting Ukraine and strengthening European defenses. And TASS brings us a pro-Russian narrative. Despite playing the Ukraine card, the fact that Kalas is among more than 170 foreign citizens under investigation for acts of desecration, destruction, or damage to war graves, monuments, and memorials to Soviet soldiers who liberated the world from Nazism and fascism. Given the outrageousness of these crimes, those responsible must be brought to justice regardless of their position. The nerds from Metaculus say there's a 26% chance that if NATO takes Article 5 action before 2040, Estonia will be the subject of that action. Man, that's tough tearing down World War II. I mean, there's still people who's who are alive fought in those right, wars. Right, right. Lived during that time. Um, Absolutely. But that being said, you're not part of the Soviet Union. I mean, I, there's definitely some nuance to the situation. It's not cut and dry. No. I think that's, that's the point. Yeah, you know what? You underscored that point so well. You should build a monument to me I, for making the point. Hey, hey don't, don't dude, tear that one down. Dude, already done. You haven't seen it? Yeah, good. Oh, okay. Good. Thank I you. I cannot wait to show it to you. South Africa urges the ICJ to consider action on Israel's Rafah assault. The facts are agreed upon by Al Jazeera, the official website of the Republic of South Africa, Middle East Monitor, El Pais, Al Arabia, and CNN. 
South Africa said Monday it filed an urgent request with the International Court of Justice, or ICJ, to consider additional emergency measures to protect the local population in Rafah amid the planned expansion of Israel's military offensive in the southern Gazan city. In its request, Pretoria described Rafah as, quote, the last refuge for surviving people in Gaza and urged the ICJ to weigh if Israel's recent offensive requires the world court to use its authority to, quote, prevent further imminent breach of the rights of Palestinians in Gaza. Further, the request claimed Israel's unprecedented Rafah operation had already led to large-scale killing, harm, and destruction, and will continue adding this would constitute a serious and irreparable breach of the Genocide Convention and the ICJ order issued on January 26. That ICJ ruling, which has no enforcement power, ordered Israel to prevent genocidal acts but did not call for a ceasefire. It came after South Africa filed a case with the World Court in December 2023 accusing Israel of genocidal intention against the Palestinians in Gaza. Israel has rejected accusations of genocide, calling on the court to dismiss the case entirely. It also claimed to be obligated to international law and that its operations are self-defense. The ICJ declined to comment on whether it had received Pretoria's latest request. The UN on Wednesday warned that Israel's plan to attack Rafah could lead to slaughter following weeks of airstrikes on the city an increasing number of countries including the US the EU the UK Saudi Arabia and Egypt voiced concerns about its civilian impact thanks eric we have a pro israel narrative on this story coming from jerusalem post israel has no choice but to expand its military operations to rafah as the city remains hamas's last stronghold israel is trying to limit the toll by urging civilians to head to humanitarian zones on the coast but Hamas has been known to use refugees as human shields. Al Jazeera has the pro-Palestine narrative. Israel has repeatedly issued warnings to civilians to seek out safe areas where the country has still proceeded to carry out bombings and other deadly tactics. The Israeli government continues to disregard Palestinian lives and the country's genocidal actions warrant international condemnation. And there's a nerd narrative from Metaculus saying there's a 9% chance that the International Criminal Court will bring charges against Benjamin Netanyahu before January 1st, 2026. Subianto claims victory in Indonesia's presidential election. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, the Jakarta Post, BBC News, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, and the Associated Press. Indonesian Defense Minister Prabowo Subianto has claimed victory in Wednesday's presidential election as unofficial results with about 85% of the ballots counted show him leading the race with nearly 60% of the vote. If official results next month confirm these preliminary counts from pollsters, the 72-year-old is likely to win the presidency outright. A candidate must secure over 50% of the votes as well as at least 20% of the vote in over half of Indonesia's provinces to avoid a runoff. A military commander during the Suharto regime, Subianto, is in a three-way race against former Jakarta Governor Aeneas Baswadan and former Central Java Governor Ganjar Pranowo to succeed President Joko Widodo after he served two full terms. Aeneas and Ganjar, who previously told supporters to wait for the official vote tally, have not conceded defeat so far. While there has been no reaction from the latter to Subianto declaring victory, Aeneas reasserted that he will wait until the official results. Indonesia reportedly has the biggest one-day election in the world, with more than 200 million people eligible to vote in polling stations across the archipelago's thousands of islands. Logistical problems due to rain were reported in Jakarta, but voting closed 
with no major problems. The next president will be inaugurated on October 20th to lead the world's fourth most populous country and will appoint a cabinet within two weeks. Thanks, Scott. The first spin comes from Intercept. It's an establishment critical narrative. General Prabowo Subianto, a longtime U.S. protege who managed to gain support from his country's political elites ahead of this presidential race, has long expressed support for authoritarian military rule. Therefore, his likely election victory represents nothing but the end of democracy in Indonesia. Foreign affairs counters with a pro-establishment narrative. Prabowo Subianto indeed has a troubled record regarding human rights and his own short temper, but sensationalism over his possible presidency is unfounded. Those supporting his presidential bid are not discontent with democracy, quite the contrary. In fact, Subianto represents continuity and an implicit faith in democratic institutions. There is a nerd narrative that says there's a 7.5% chance that Indonesia will experience a successful coup d'etat before 2040, and that comes from Metaculus. You know what? He's got nice hair. Hey, listen, for 72 years old, he looks like a million bucks. I like, know. For real, he could, he could be in his late 50s. Well-preserved. Yeah. I want to know his secret. Apparently, he has an anger management problem, so <laughs> be careful asking him too much. That's true. But, uh, that's true. News from Pakistan as the coalition government selects Shabazz Sharif as prime minister. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The Times of India, and NPR Online News. The Pakistani political parties that received the second and third most votes in the recent national election have agreed to form a coalition to elect the next prime minister. Former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif's Pakistan Muslim League, or PMLN, won 75 out of 266 directly elected seats, with Bilawal Bhutto Zadari's Pakistan People's Party, or PPP, taking 54. The coalition, which will also incorporate the MQMP, PMLQ, IPP, and BAP parties, has garnered 152 seats. After adding the reserved 60 seats for women and 10 for minorities, the coalition will hold far more than the 169 required for a simple majority. Independents backed by former Prime Minister Imran Khan's PTI party won the most voters and garnered 92 seats. But the PTI was banned from this election, and its candidates were forced to run individually. After ballots were counted, which took two days rather than the typical several hours, over 100 independents who lost said they were going to appeal, alleging their races were rigged. Nawaz's own district election has been a focal point surrounding election rigging claims. According to a vote tally shared by his party on social media, Nawaz received more votes than there are voters in the district, with the 14 independents in that race receiving zero votes. Meanwhile, Nawaz Sharif said he would nominate his brother Shabazz as the next prime minister. While Zadari said his PPP party would help select the next government, he emphasized that its members would not take up positions in the cabinet. Pakistan Today brings us Narrative A. Although the PMLN will take control of the incoming government, its power will be less than hoped. PPP has opted not to fill any cabinet posts and will instead remain an opposition party capable of ousting Sharif should he continue his brother's dreadful economic policies. The PMLN's relatively insignificant majority shows that the people are leaning toward a new leading party, possibly the PPP, that may usher in a new era of stability in the long term. Narrative B comes from Don. Despite voter turnout overwhelming this rigged election, enough roadblocks were put in place to keep the PTI candidates from forming a government. First, the PTI was legally banned from existence. Then, several districts saw mysterious loads of ballots emerge overnight to ensure the Khan-backed independents didn't win more seats than their already historic amount. 
While the West makes nominal statements about ensuring the election was fair, Pakistan seems to be headed down a path of civil conflict. In a nerd narrative from Metaculus, there's a 21% chance of civil war in Pakistan before January 1st, 2036. Man, the, the, uh, I lost an election. It was rigged has become the new, uh, I said something weird on social media. My account must have been hacked. You know? <laughs> it is. But one of these days, that's going to be so yesterday. Yeah, I, I look forward to the next <laughs> stupid excuse people in charge have. Right. I'm, I'm looking forward to exactly. it. Exactly. Dozens of civilians are killed by Ethiopian forces in Amhara. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Global Conflict Tracker, BBC News and Jurist. Dozens of civilians were extrajudicially killed by Ethiopian federal troops in the Amhara region last month, the state-affiliated Ethiopian Human Rights Commission, or EHRC, said on Tuesday. The EHRC said it had confirmed the identities of 45 civilians who were killed by government forces. It added, however, it can be assumed that the number of victims is even higher. This is the latest in a string of violence following the 2022 signing of a peace agreement between the Ethiopian government and Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, or TPLF. The agreement came after a two-year civil war that was itself heavily criticized over allegations of war crimes committed by both sides. Militias from the Amhara region, known as FANO, fought alongside government forces during the conflict. However, after the peace deal, the government said the FANO had to disarm, prompting them to argue they would be left vulnerable to attacks from other regional forces. Fighting has since ensued between Fano and the government. This latest incident reportedly took place on January 29th in the town of Marawi. Several witnesses told the BBC that uniformed military officers conducted door-to-door searches and shot civilians, including a pregnant woman, after accusing them of providing support to Fano fighters. Last week, the U.S. Embassy in the Ethiopian capital of Addis Ababa issued a statement that it was deeply concerned about targeted civilian killings in Marawi. We call for unfettered access by independent human rights monitors, as well as an impartial investigation to ensure the perpetrators are brought to justice, it added. Thank you, Scott, for the facts. The first spin is Narrative A coming from Burkina.com. If anyone was still harboring doubts about the authoritarian and ethno-fascist nature of the Abiy Ahmed regime, they will have undoubtedly been shattered by the EHRC's confirmation that federal forces extrajudicially killed dozens of civilians in Amhara. The international community must intervene to halt ongoing genocidal war and prevent a humanitarian crisis in the region. Narrative B comes from the Addis Standard. Though it's obviously tragic that some federal troops have failed to exercise restraint in military operations against the Fano militia, the responsibility for these deaths and for the ongoing conflict in Amhara ultimately lies with the fighters who have refused to lay down weapons and engage in dialogue with Prime Minister Abiy. Metaculus has a nerd narrative. It says there's a 20% chance that Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed will experience a significant leadership disruption before 2025. Democrat Swazi wins the U.S. House special election in New York. The facts are agreed upon by Associated Press, Roll Call, Reuters, Politico, and CBS. Democrat Tom Swazi on Tuesday defeated Republican Mazi Pilip in a U.S. special election in New York, earning the right to replace Republican Representative George Santos, who was expelled from Congress earlier this year. Swazi, who served in the House for three terms before stepping down to unsuccessfully run for governor in 2022, was declared victorious with about 58% of the vote by 10 p.m. Tuesday. 
by flipping the seat in a district where President Joe Biden defeated former President Donald Trump in 2020 before Republicans prevailed in the 2022 midterms, Democrats have cut Republicans' narrow majority in the House to 219 to 213. Swazi sold himself as a middle-leaning Democrat who seeks better cooperation between the two parties. In his victory speech, he celebrated prevailing against, quote, lies from Republicans, who he said blamed him for the migrant crisis, which was a major issue in the campaign. This seat will be on the ballot again in November, but the district may have a different composition because of a court order to redraw the state's congressional districts. Thanks, Eric. We have a Democratic narrative on this story from MSNBC. This enormous victory should resonate beyond New York and send the message that Americans agree Biden is a strong president and the U.S. is better off today than it was before Biden took office. Democrats are the party of progress, while Republicans are still looking to the past for Trump and his failed policies. This bodes well for Democrats in 2024. Breitbart has the Republican narrative. Democrats should be worrying over their disappointing margin of victory. Running a three-time representative against someone with zero name recognition who made several mistakes on the campaign trail should have led to a blowout win. Instead, the numbers will make it look like Republicans will be able to take back this seat in just a few months. And a nerd narrative from Metaculus, there's a 50% chance that Republicans will retain control of the U.S. House of Representatives in 2024. A U.S. agency considers migrant releases over budget shortfalls. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, BBC News, CBS, The Washington Post and Forbes. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, may release thousands of migrants who are currently in detention centers due to concerns over the agency's $700 million budget deficit, according to officials who spoke with The Washington Post on Wednesday. After Congress failed to pass a Senate border bill last week, the Department of Homeland Security started looking for ways to make up for one of its largest budget shortfalls in years. Interim ICE Director Patrick Lechleitner earlier this month said the agency would have to make some tough decisions if it didn't receive more funding, and it may release many of the 38,000 migrants it's currently detaining. ICE could release 16,000 migrants, curbing detention levels down to 22,000, but it's uncertain if such a release of migrants would even cover a significant amount of the budget shortfall. DHS could also reappropriate funds from other agencies. DHS spokesperson Aaron Heater said the department is chronically underfunded as record numbers illegally cross the southern border every month. While Republicans have long called for increased border security, they voted against last week's bill over enforcement concerns. The migrant crisis is becoming a defining political issue for the upcoming presidential election. While border encounters were down in January, officials expect the number to rise dramatically in the coming spring months. Those were the facts, and the first spin is a Republican narrative coming from PJ Media. Democrats are playing a truly wicked game with the sovereignty of America as they hold the nation hostage and push for millions of illegals to flood the U.S. with impunity. Biden's DHS is essentially blackmailing Republicans and all American citizens into accepting all of their radical policies in order to enforce any semblance of border security. Democratic narrative comes from Raw Story. Border hawk Republicans had the opportunity to give ICE all the money it needed and more to fund its border security efforts, yet it refused to pass a bipartisan bill for political reasons. The fact that Republicans refused to give ICE $7.6 billion leaves many questions, and it's fair to wonder if the GOP is trying to sabotage the Biden administration. The nerds of Metaculus say there's a 50% chance that the rate of immigration enforcement in the U.S. in 2024 as a percentage of removals to encounters will be at least 7.8%. 
According to a recent report, the U.S. asked allies to spy on the Trump campaign. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Substack, The Federalist, and The Guardian. U.S. intelligence sources have reportedly told journalists that agencies, including the CIA during the Obama administration, asked other members of the so-called Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, the U.K., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, to contact and manipulate Trump campaign advisors as early as 2015. Obama's CIA director John Brennan reportedly identified 26 Trump associates for the Five Eyes to target as early as March of 2016, with Five Eyes operatives being sent around the world. The UK's MI6 agency was also, quote, working at an intelligence school they had set up. This follows a 2017 report from UK-based outlet The Guardian, which claimed that British intelligence, quote, was at no point carrying out a targeted operation against Trump or his team, but rather discovered, quote, conversations during routine surveillance of Russian intelligence assets. The new report written by Michael Schellenberger, Matt Tybee, and Alex Gutentag, however, claims this is not true thus alleging the U.S. government broke both espionage and election laws by spying on the Trump campaign without a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act warrant. A known FBI intelligence source from the agency's crossfire hurricane investigation, University of Cambridge Professor Stefan Halper, was reportedly being paid upwards of $400,000 by the U.S. government to engage with Trump advisors such as Michael Flynn in March of 2016. This also potentially aligns with reports that Trump campaign advisor George Papadopoulos was also targeted by London-based professor Joseph Mifsud, who has connections to Western intelligence agencies and diplomats, in March of 2016. All right, thanks, Eric. We have the New York Post's establishment critical narrative. This proves that at the behest of the Obama administration, the entire Western intelligence apparatus was spying on Trump. Not only has the FBI's investigation been proven corrupt, but we now know the intelligence agencies were willing to break the law for political reasons. This raises concerns about politicized, weaponized surveillance. CNN has the pro-establishment narrative. Once again, fringe members of the media are blowing out of proportion an issue related to the intelligence agency's investigation of the Trump campaign. This special prosecutor in charge of investigating flaws in the system hasn't recommended any change to FBI policy or the prosecution of individuals. This issue has long been settled. Our final story, Microsoft says Russia and China use open AI for hacking. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by GeekWire, The New York Times, Forbes, and Washington Post. OpenAI and Microsoft have reported that China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea are using OpenAI's artificial intelligence products to conduct unsophisticated but efficient hacking activities, like writing emails, translating documents, and debugging computer code. They claim Chinese groups like Charcoal Typhoon and Salmon Typhoon used it for cybersecurity and phishing. The Russian-connected group Forest Blizzard to research satellite radar technologies, and North Korea-linked Emerald Street likely used it for spear phishing campaigns. As for Iran, the report claims that the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps used the technology to deceive end-users online and avoid being detected. In response, Microsoft said it suspended the hackers' accounts, adding that it will also make the findings of its report available to other service providers, work with key stakeholders, and release more public reports. Microsoft, which invested $13 billion in OpenAI, did not disclose the specific OpenAI tools that were used by these groups. However, OpenAI cybersecurity chief Bob Rosted did say that they sign up for the company's products like everyone else. 
Over the past year, Microsoft has reported PRC hacks into 25 lawmakers' emails, U.S. military infrastructure in Guam, and Canada's cybersecurity chief. European police also have said that OpenAI products could help hackers. Thanks, Scott. The Wall Street Journal provides the first spin. It's a pro-establishment narrative. Instead of developing its own technology for the betterment of humanity, Beijing has decided to steal U.S. technology and use it to hack the personal data of government and business personnel. Companies like OpenAI have been worried about this for a while now, especially following PRC attempts to buy up stock in chip-making firms and then steal their technology. The worst part is that China has already collected vast amounts of data, information it can now sort through via the powerful capabilities of AI. This undermines a rules-based order. And the establishment critical narrative comes from Global Times. The U.S. and its Western Five Eyes surveillance allies repeatedly make these accusations to cover up the fact that they are the world's leading spies and hackers. Each time a whistleblower exposes another illegal spying activity by the U.S., Washington subsequently deflects the news by throwing baseless conspiracies around about Beijing. Not only does the U.S. hack foreign governments, but also its own citizens. U.S. intelligence agencies are the real threats to privacy and security. The nerd narrative says there's a 48% chance that the U.S. will restrict Chinese AI developers' access to U.S. cloud computing before 2025. And that comes from the Metaculous Prediction community. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Thursday, February 15th, 2024. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and key narratives where the articles differ. Find out more at Verity.news. You can download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.